Okay, so uh, tonight we're going to discuss um, a Shiloh, which I saw, uh, an interesting uh, Shiloh, which is actually um, pretty common, not one which we necessarily would face, but it's a pretty common Shiloh, and it touches upon something which we had in Dafyomi not uh, not so long ago, a month or so ago, maybe two months ago already at the at, at this point. Um, and it relates to the topic of teaching Torah to non-Jews. And it shows up, the uh, the Shiloh shows up in a number of different uh, circumstances. One of the circumstances where I saw that it arises is with regards to um, uh, when there was the big um, uh, aliyah from Russia into Israel. So lots of people were, were running after the Russians to bring them to yeshivas and to Beisakovs and to schools and whatnot. And uh, the people who were coming there were, uh, by and large, they were not religious. And shortly afterwards, they began to discover that many of them were not only not religious, they weren't even Jewish. You know, it was mixed marriages and whatnot, their children from uh, mixed marriages. And then the uh, the Shiloh became, how much due diligence do the schools have to do in terms of making sure that the uh, the people that they're accepting into this school are actually Jews, rather than people who just, you know, had a neighbor's, cousin's, best friend's, uh, uncle who was uh, Jewish or something like that. Um, and then another scenario where this comes up, and this is the one which is a little bit more frequent, is the question that whenever hero of people go out there and they uh, offer a shear in a new community or something like that, so they have no way of knowing who's going to show up in the audience. And almost inevitably, when there's a shear, so there's going to be um, a, a surprisingly large percentage of non-Jews who uh, who show up. And there also you have the similar question, uh, is there going to be an issue in the event that one is giving a shear and somebody who is not Jewish shows up? So we're going to see, well, obviously to answer this question, we're going to take a step back, see what the Isser is, what the uh, potential prohibitions involved are. We'll see that even though there are seemingly unequivocal Gemaras that say that such a thing is going to be Isser, there are just as many incidents in the Gemara itself which talk about non-Jews studying Torah. So all of these different sources have to be reconciled. And then we will see at the end, we'll see like four or five or maybe six uh, different uh, resolutions or different solutions, I should say, different solutions, which the post can discuss about how to uh, to manage this situation. Okay, so with that introduction uh, in place, we will get ourselves going. Okay, so at the top there you see it says that teaching Torah with Gentiles present. So that's the way we went ahead and we uh, we framed it. So seemingly, uh, we begin with the Gemara and Chagiga. This is the most obvious source which we have. This is a Yud Gimel and Aleph in the, in Chagiga, where the Gemara says, Rami says, Ein Mosrin divrei Torah Now you'll pay attention because this is going to come up later on. But the, the verb, again, because Chazal's terminology is always incredibly precise. So here the language is, we do not deliver Torah to a non-Jew. In Amar, as it says, and this is the passage that we say every morning. Uh, uh, sorry, the hey shouldn't be there. That he, did not do this with every nation. And their laws you should not make known to them. So the phrase Mishpatim Bal Yadum says that Torah should not be 
Hoat to non-Jews. One of them that's at the end of the second of the Halalukas. Now, what you're going to uh, keep in mind is that if any one of us were asked to go ahead and draft this sentence, we would have said, We don't teach Torah to a non-Jew. That would seemingly be the correct verb to talk about teaching, and we actually have a word for teaching, which would be malamed. Instead of using the word malamed, so we go ahead and we use the term that Reb Ami used the word mosrin to go ahead and deliver or to give. So that's an unusual uh, word that, uh, that that's there, and we'll see the significance of that later on. But this is, again, in, the Gemara doesn't quote anybody who disagrees with this. This is just the straight uh, uh, ruling of the uh, of the Gemara that we don't do such a thing. Now, comes along Tosos, right over there in Chagiga, and he says that, Hayakasha la'arav Rabbeinu al-Khanan. He says, Rabbeinu not Rabbeinu Wasserman, but Rabbeinu when the Rishonim, was difficult. Why does Rav Ami stop at, say, at simply saying that you're not allowed to deliver Torah to non-Jews, Why, or you're not allowed to teach Torah to non-Jews? Why did he go ahead and uh, uh, present it in the more extreme version, which is the fact that if a non-Jew goes out and engages in Torah, study Oseg to Torah, Hayv Misa. So he's actually subject to death, and in the Amr of Perik Dalmi, so it's like the Gemara in Sanhedrin says, We're not going to see the, the context of that Gemara, but it is a clear Gemara that if a non-Jew goes out and engages in Torah study, he's Chayv Misa. And once we say, for whatever reason, that if a Gentile studies Torah, he's Chayv Misa, so then what's going to be the consequence for the person who teaches him? Says Rabbeinu Achanan. So if a Jew goes out and teaches him Torah, so he's in violation of Lifnaiver. Whatever's going to be Asr for a non-Jew to do, and it's clearly Asr because he's Chayev Misa. So why do we have to go ahead and why did Rav Ami have to quote a Pasuk in Tehillim, Umishvatim Bal Yedu'um, to go ahead and say that it's Asr, since we know that a non-Jew studies Torah is Chayev Misa. It must be an Aveira. And if it's an Aveira, it's Asr to go ahead and give it to him because it's a Daraisa. The Jew who teaches that Torah is in violation of the Daraisa of Leif Neiver. So why is Rabbi ignoring seemingly the bigger Isser which would be involved in teaching Torah to a non-Jew? So he said, he goes ahead, so he goes ahead, we're skipping some of his, uh, the middle of his comments, but he goes ahead and he comes up with what would be a Lamdesha answer not one which is addressing the point directly. That is, it's like a rabbinic answer rather than actually getting to the core of the issue. And he says, here also what we must be talking about is, we must be talking about where you go, Rav Ami is talking about where you are teaching Torah to a non-Jew, in a circumstance where there is another non-Jew available to teach him just as well. So being that there is a non-Jew available to teach him, so if you teach him Torah, it's not Leif Neiver. Remember, we've talked about this many times, that in order to violate the Isidar Rice of Leif Neiver, it has to be that the only way for the person to commit this Avera is if you assist. But over here, if we're talking about where a non-Jew is available to teach Torah, so it's not Leif Neiver, because he could go ahead and he could get the Torah somewhere else. 
where there's not going to be a violation of leaf neighbor. So on a technicality, it's not leaf neighbor. But, and that's where Rabbi steps in and he says, but even in a, a circumstance where it's not leaf neighbor, it's still aser. Why? Because of that passage of Mishpatim Bal Yadum, because of that passage which we quoted. As I said, Tosos is taking a sort of a lambdasha, practical way out of it. But he's not really addressing the issue of whether it's permitted or not. He's a- accepting the premise that is absolutely usser. It may be usser just as a regular usser. It may be something which is a very severe usser given certain conditions where the non-Jew could be subject to death. And the Jew teaching him Torah would be in violation of leaf neighbor. Okay, so that is one set of sources. So right now it's not looking good. Maybe any time that one has a concern at this point, we can, one could argue that any time there's a concern for a non-Jew present when you are teaching Torah, so maybe you'd have to say that you have to go ahead and you have to take the cautious approach to go ahead and violate a Doraisa, and maybe teaching Torah under those conditions, maybe would it be absolutely awesome. Okay, good. Now we move to the Gemara Baba Kama. Lamed Ches Amad Alf. Over two months ago, I guess. Tanraban, the Bryson now teaches. Ukvar Shalcha Malchus Romi Shnei Sardiotos Eitzachachme Yisrael Limdunu Taraschem. So the Roman government, the Roman Empire, sent two officers, uh, maybe they were uh, university professors, uh, to the Chachme Yisrael, to the Chachamim, to go ahead and teach them Torah. They wanted to know what Torah is all about. And they sent these two people to go ahead and say, to study Torah. And what happened? Indeed, they studied Torah. Karu, they 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 read. Shanu, they repeated a second time. Bechazert, Vishilshu, and then they did it a third time. So there was a lot of review. And Bishas Petirasa, now after these two officers, the two Roman officers, had completed their course of study, they did their undergraduate degree, they did their graduate degree, they got their doctorate, they were, uh, they were, they were good to go. So then they were going back to Rome to go ahead and report what happened. So Bishas Petirasa, so when they were leaving, going back to Rome, Amrulahem, so the Roman officers said to the Chachamim, Diknaknu Bechotarasen Bemesu. We carefully scrutinize your entire Torah, all the way from Breshis to Leinecho Yisrael, all the way to the end of Divra Yamim, Mishnayis, whatever it is, whatever uh, material they had available. So these Roman officers said, we studied it all, and we find it all to be true, Chutz, with one exception, which is pretty good. 99.9% is pretty good on all accounts. Chutz, Midavar Zesh Atem Omen, except for the following thing, which you, the following halacha, which you you Jews maintain is true, which from our perspective makes no sense whatsoever. What's that? What's the one halacha that they just couldn't comprehend and didn't make any sense to them? And this is why it appears in Baba Kama. Says, So the halacha is that if a Jew's shore, if a Jew has a, a, a bull and it goes ahead and it runs over and it injures a non Jew's uh, bull, so the Jew is exempt from liability, does not have to pay for damages. But on the other hand, so Knani Shinagach Shor Yisrael, if a non-Jew's bull goes that and damages a Jew's bull, Ben Tam Ben Muad, regardless of whether the, the Gentile's bull 
has done this before numerous times, or make it into a muad, or whether this is a first-time offense, so the Gentile bull owner is going to have to pay the full value of the damages. So if it's a Jew's bull, you pay nothing. If it's a Gentile's bull, you have to pay full damages. And the Roman officers said, they said, this halacha, this discrepancy in the halacha, it doesn't make any sense. Because if when the Torah talks about kigach, something is shoreyu, 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 so if re'ehu means your friend, meaning a fellow Jew, so then that means that the whole parsha of damages applies only between Jew and Jew. So then even if a non-Jew, even if a Gentile's bull goes ahead and runs over a Jew's bull, he should be exempt. And and if when the Torah says re'ehu, it doesn't mean specifically Jews, it means any other person. Then if the Yisrael So then if a Jew's bull goes out and runs over the Gentiles' bull, the Jews should also be chayev. So we have one critical word, which is the word ve'eyu. And it means one of two things. Either it means just Jews, or it means everybody. But whatever you're going to do, so if it means anybody, then it's a two-way street. Regardless of whose bull damages who, you should have to pay full. And if you're going to say re'eyu means specifically Jews, so then it doesn't make a difference whether it's Jew and Gentile or Gentile and Jew, you shouldn't have to pay anything. But to say that when the Gentile does it, you have to pay full damages, and when the Jew does it, you don't have to pay anything, so that doesn't make any sense. That, they claim, that is the one halacha which we find to be inconsistent, and we cannot uh, uh, acknowledge that it is emes. But they said, But don't worry about it. We got your back. We're not going to tell the Romans that you have this discriminatory uh, halacha. We'll just keep it to ourselves. But you should know that uh, that we find this to be uh, this one halacha to be untrue. Okay, Gavad. Now, what's clearly evident from this Gemara? What's clearly evident from this Gemara is somebody taught these two Roman officers all shofanar. For them to come along and say that we studied your entire Torah. Shanu v'shilshu, and we reviewed it, and then we reviewed it a third time. That we're we're fluent at it, that we could find one halacha which we don't grasp the rationale behind it, but everything else is MS. Clearly, they studied lots of Torah, and if there's an iser to go ahead and teach a Gentile Torah, so how is it possible that they had learned through the entirety of Torah where they could pick on this uh, this one halacha? And in fact. Tosos right there in Baba Kama, he asks this question. He's also troubled by this. He says, isn't this completely inconsistent with the Gemara and Chagiga, with Herbami? Vim Tomar, and if you'll ask, Vaha Amrina B'Chagiga, we already said the Chagiga, that Hamalamed Torah La'ove Kochavim, that if somebody goes out and teaches Torah to a non-Jew, over Baasei, so he's in violation of an Asei, of a positive command, the Magi Dvavli Yaakov, as we said, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives the Torah to Yaakov, and Mishpatim Ba'yidun, which he did not do to the Gentiles, so you're not allowed to give it to them. So how can it be in this Gemara that somebody sat down with these Gentile Roman officers and went ahead and taught them the entire Torah? Wouldn't that have been in direct violation of this assay, of this prohibition? Putting aside whether there's potentially the favor, but there's an explicit prohibition to go ahead and do so. So how could we, how do we explain that? He says, listen, 
they weren't given much of a choice. These Roman officers showed up. They said, we have enrolled in your classes, in your yeshiva. We are going to be sitting here. And what are you going to do about it? And being that this was the Roman Empire, to go ahead and to say no to the Roman uh, Empire and say, we're not teaching your uh, your officers Torah because it's in violation of our halacha. So that would have um, angered the Romans. It would have uh, uh, caused them to uh, to feel that the, the Jews are discriminatory, which they certainly did not want to do. That would have put them in danger. And therefore, they didn't have much of a choice. What were they supposed to do? They were, Nobody asked them whether it was allowed or not. And although it may be that it was us to go ahead and teach them Torah, but being that to deny, to refuse to teach Torah would have involved mysterious nafis, it would have put people at risk. So if it's a risk to your life, so there's no obligation to refrain from teaching Torah if it's going to put you at risk. Inami, or else, also atzman gerim. Another potential solution is when they showed up, the uh, the 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 uh, the person who was uh, taking the the application for admittance into the yeshiva said, "I'm so sorry, but it looks like you're you're Roman, and we only accept the Jews." And they said, "No, no, no, don't worry about it. We plan on converting." So it's part of our conversion process, and we'd like to go ahead and study Torah so that post-conversion we will know how to behave. And that's how they managed to get enrolled in the yeshiva is because they said that they were going to go ahead and convert. The Isa, the Sifri, the Parsha as the Sifri goes at it indicates, they are, certainly, we'll discuss this a little bit uh, later on, but there's certainly a certain amount of Torah that a potential convert has to know before he could go ahead and convert. Because immediately upon conversion, the convert is expected to keep the Torah. I'm going to keep all 613 mitzvahs if you don't know any more than the Shev Mitzvahs B'nai Noach. So therefore, under the pretense that they were going to go ahead and convert, so that's how they were able to get enrolled in the yeshiva and at the very least take an online course of uh, about uh, about Torah. But again, we're going with the premise that the issue of the, the there's a, a real prohibition against teaching Torah to non-Jews, and it's something which we, it, it's not as if there is a dissenting opinion which says that it's permitted. Every time Tosas has raised the question, he raised the question, he has to come up with another answer why the Gemara is talking about an exceptional case rather than just saying this or doesn't apply. Okay, that was number two. Now, uh, the Shita Mekubet says he has a different uh, explanation, a different answer as to how these Roman officers were able to sneak their way into the yeshiva to be able to, to study Torah. And he says, Perish, they showed up and they said, we're Jews. They said, hmm, you don't look Middle Eastern at all. You don't even look Jewish. How could you possibly be Jewish if you're not uh, from here? They said, yeah, yeah, we're from out of town. We're from Rome. We're Jews who live in Rome. And that's why we look Roman. We dress Roman. We have a Roman accent. But we're really Jews who are from Rome. We're from Spain. Like uh, the Coneheads, the Cohen heads. So that's how they went ahead and they showed up in the in the yeshiva, and they just outright lied and said who, who they were, because it has to be that that's the case, because the Shita Mukubetsis also confirms the Elo, because if they did not present themselves as Jews, there's no way they would have uh, uh, gained admission into the yeshiva. Because it is us, we know we possibly that it is prohibited to go ahead and teach 
Torah to a Gentile, and he says in the name of the Yushami that that's how the Yushami understands the story as well, that these Roman officers lied about who they were, and they claimed to be Jewish even though they were not, and that's how they were able to study Torah. Okay? So we have now this, what would seem to be, this unequivocal isser against teaching a non-Jew Torah, and maybe, now in the, in the stories where they taught them Torah, either it was a threat to their lives and they had no choice. You don't have to be Moser Nefesh to, uh, it's not one of the three cardinal sins to teach a non-Jew Torah. So in the threat of death or harm, so you'd be allowed to teach them Torah. Or they lied, said they were going to be converts and there's a certain amount of Torah that you're able to teach a potential convert. Or they went ahead and they outright lied and they said they were Jewish even though they were really not. Okay. Now we go to, probably not where you thought we were going to go, now we go to a Mishnah in Machshirin. Machshirin is the, the name of Masechta in Seder Taharos. These are the uh, the Mishnayis, the, the set of Mishnayis, the, the section of Mishnayis, which deals with matters of Tuma and Tahara. And the term Lahachshir, or Machshirin over here, is that uh, many things become susceptible to, in order to become susceptible to Tuma, so they have to come in contact with a liquid. But it's not just if it comes in contact with certain liquids but it has to be done intentionally. And there are numerous details related to making, let's say, fruits and vegetables and grains and whatnot susceptible to tumor. So you have a whole masechta called machshirin, which discusses this. Now, in the course of that uh, of that masechta, so we have a mission which is relevant to our discussion over here. It goes as follows. Matzah mushlach. Let's say you find an abandoned baby. Back in the day, before you would just drop babies off at the fire station, so when they would just leave them on a street corner or something, so or they would just leave them by a bus stop, so what happens when you find this abandoned baby? It's Jewish, it's not Jewish. What do we assume? We'll see the significance of this, the halakhic significance of this in a moment. But what do you what what do we assume about the origin of this baby? Imrov Akum, if the majority of residents in town are Gentiles, Akum. So the baby is assumed to come from the majority, and the baby will assume to be a non-Jew. In Rov Yisrael, if the majority of residents in town are Jews, let's say you're in Lakewood, so the majority of residents there are probably Jewish, probably pretty likely, so then Yisrael. So then we assume that this abandoned baby is also Jewish origin. Mechzel Mechzel, let's say it's a community, a split community, about 50-50, about half of them are Jews, half of them are Gentiles. So then, Yisrael. So the first opinion the Mishnah says, we're going to treat this child as a Yisrael. When it's 50-50 or more than 50% Jewish, we treat the, we'll treat this abandoned baby as Jewish. He says, we don't take into account the majority of residents. What we do is we take into account the majority of people who abandon babies. And if you live it, even if it's a fifty, even if it's a seventy-five percent Jewish population, but if none of the Jews abandon their babies, and the only babies which are abandoned in town are the Gentile babies, so we don't take into account the percentage of population. We take into account the percentage of those people who would abandon babies, who wouldn't want to go ahead and keep babies, and that's what we'll go ahead and that's how we will decide. Okay. Now you're wondering what does this have to do with us? So we're getting there. So now the the first halacha. So you find this abandoned baby, and the Mishnah said, if the majority of people in town are non-Jews, so we assume that the baby is not Jewish. What's the significance? 
So I just went with the Tiferes Yisrael because he's short and to the point. One of the primary commentators on the Mishnayas. So he says, Lachilo Nevelis. What that means is, is that as you're raising this baby, which you found on the, on the street corner, so you don't have to go out of your way and make sure to buy him Mahadumina Mahadrin Glat Kasher Chav Yisrael meat. You could go ahead and you could give him Oscar Mayer bologna or Oscar Mayer salami. And it's not a problem because since the majority of people are non-Jews, this baby is assumed to be a non-Jew. And that rove, that majority is such a strong um, indicator of what the baby is that you don't even have to t- be concerned that maybe I'm feeding non-kosher meat to the to a Jewish baby. This baby is assumed to come from the majority, and you could feed them Oscar Mayer. That baby could have a double bacon cheeseburger. Then on the other hand, we said, Imrov Yisrael Yisrael, in the event that the majority of people in town are Jews, the baby is assumed to be a Jew, meaning, So this is going to be not the, the, the nafkamin that you were anticipating necessarily, but that means that if you find a lost object in this abandoned baby, this who had been an abandoned baby comes forward and says, hey, that's my object. And you say, hey, this is a diamond ring. I know that you are an abandoned baby. It was never proven that you were Jewish, and therefore the mitzvah of Hashavah Saveda may not apply to you. I'm keeping the ring for myself. It's $5,000 in my pocket. Why would I give it to you if I don't even know that you're for sure Jewish? So the halach is, rogue Yisrael, Yisrael. If the majority of people are Jews, this baby is assumed to be a Jew, and you would return lost objects to him. Even though there's a chazaka regarding the money against him, Rove is going to win. Um, okay, the rest of them we don't need. And then, So now, what happens if they are, it's Mechza, we said that the population is 50-50. So then the Tanakhama said, we're going to assume the child is Jewish. Why, what, what halacha is that going to be relevant to? The benagach tam shalom, that if your shore goes ahead and endures this abandoned baby's shore, and you want to go ahead and say that maybe, uh, no, sorry, the benagach tam shalom, that if the abandoned baby's shore goes ahead and gores your shore, so you say to him, hey, it was never proven that you were Jewish in the first place anyways. And therefore, since I'm going to consider you to be a non-Jew, you have to pay me Nezek Shalom. You have to pay full damages. And he says, what are you talking about? I'm a regular Jew. It was Paschal that I am a Jew. And therefore, I only have to pay you Chatzin Nezek. I only have to pay you half damages. So in this case, the Benagach Tam Shalom, that if his shore Tam, his, his shore, which does not have a reputation, does not have a history, a rap sheet, of running over other people's shvarim, Eino Kiknani. He's not going to be treated as a Gentile. The Shalim Gambatam Nezak Shalim, and we have to pay full damages even though it's a Tam. Why? Being that there is a suffix, being that we don't know for sure whether he's Jewish or not. So, rule number one of Hosha Mishpat, Hamotzi Mechavero Alavaraya. That's what the Hey Mem Ayin Hey stands for. Hamotzi Mechavero Alavaraya, that the one who seeks collection has a burden of proof. So if you want this fellow to go ahead and pay you Nezek Shalom, you have to prove definitively that he is not Jewish. If you cannot prove definitively he is not Jewish and he's claiming to be Jewish and it's 50% chance that he's Jewish, so then he only has to pay you half damages and that's it. Okay. Now, 
Why did we see this Mishnah in Machshirim? So we say, there comes along the Rash. The Rash is one of the primary commentators on the Mishnayas in, in Taharos. So the Rash goes, it's not the Rush. This is the Rash. So he goes there and he says, when are we? When do we say at 50-50 that we're going to treat the person as the, the abandoned baby as Jewish? That's only Elin and Isurin. That's only going to be as far as something Aser. The Machmir and Alav Kisrael. Meaning that, that we're going to look at this baby, we're going to say, since it's a 50% chance that he's Jewish, we're going to be Machmir and treat him as a Jew in the sense that the Aser Benevelos. That you can't give that, that 50-50 baby, you cannot give him an Oscar Mayer. When it's only 49% chance that he's Jewish, so then you could give him Oscar Mayer, because the, the majority indicates that he's not Jewish. When it's 50-50, we have to treat him as Jewish, and you cannot give him Oscar Mayer hot dogs. Umachmir and Alav Kikusi. But on the other hand, we're going to be, for other things, we're going to be, when it's appropriate or when it's relevant, we'll be Machmir that maybe he's a non Jew. For example, what, what, when would it ever produce a stringency for him to be not Jewish? Like the Gemara in Sanhedrin says, that if a non-Jew goes out and studies Torah, Misa. So the Rosh is saying that when you find, although when you find this abandoned baby in a community where it's 50% Jewish, 50% Gentile, you may not feed that baby non-kosher meat because maybe he's Jewish. But on the other hand, you have to be machmer and you wouldn't be able to teach him Torah because it's a 50% chance that he is Gentile and teaching a Gentile Torah is Aser. And therefore, we end up being machmer on him on both ends in that he's not able to study Torah, but he also can't have a double bacon cheeseburger. So he is going to be, uh, he gets the, uh, the, the worst of both. No Torah and no double bacon cheeseburger. Okay, so what, but what does this rush seem to indicate to us as far as what's going to be with teaching somebody Torah? So it sounds like the rush is saying that when you have a person who may or may not be Jewish, it seems to me that we have to take a stringent approach and avoid the answer. That's what we're doing with the 50 50. Then we're, ta- we're adopting a stringent approach and we're saying that you're not going to be able to go ahead and, uh, and, and teach him Torah. Okay, so here we have the the, the last source which we have, although we're going to read a bunch of it, is from the Chashuke Chemed, that's Rabbi Yitzhak Zilberstein. So he says, he wants to know, uh, this, uh, the, the title of the piece is, Is it permitted to teach? This is going to be more like in the Kiruv setting. Are you allowed to go ahead and teach Jews Torah when there's also going to be a young man or a young uh, woman who is not Jewish in the crowd? Sheila. So this is this the specific question which was posed to Zilberstein. There was a uh, a Kolo guy who started saying a, a shear to some teenagers. And it said that there was the uh, the the Kolo guy paid attention to the people, and it looked like one of the leaders it seemed as if he knew nothing about Yiddishkeit whatsoever. Didn't know anything about Judaism. Didn't even know what Purim Katan is. When they went ahead and they he, he researched the matter, it became evident that after they discovered that the leader of the group is actually a Muslim. Let's say it was like a Boy Scout group or something like that. 
So it was a Jewish Boy Scout group, but the leader of the group happened to be Muslim. At least he looks Middle Eastern. And he happens to be in school together with these other Jewish boys. And the uh, the Kola guy who's leading the Shir. So he says um, that uh, he knows perfectly well that if he were to ask this Muslim boy to not come to the class anymore, all of the Jewish boys would stop coming to the Shir. They would stop coming because they're, they're coming because he's, he brings them. And they also won't come. So given those circumstances where if he tells the Muslim boy to stop coming, the Jewish boys will also start stop coming. So what exactly are you supposed to do? Is this Kola guy allowed to continue teaching Torah because most of the people there are Jews? Or is he not allowed to violate the Yisra of teaching Torah to non-Jews? And if it turns out that the Jewish boys decide not to come, that's their choice. But they, they, just because they may decide not to come, maybe that's not sufficient a reason for the Polo guy to, to knowingly teach Torah to a non-Jew. So that was the uh, the, the issue. And Rav Zuberstein spends a long time, you see we have a lot here, but he spends a long time exploring the, the different sources about the Yisr. And then after he goes through all of the, the, the various sources, many of which we already touched upon. He writes, There's going to be a number of things which you could teach them, even though the Muslim boy is there. And there are other ways to avoid the Yisr, to be able to teach Torah to the Jewish boys and avoid the Yisr of teaching Torah to the non-Jew. Without violating the prohibition, as we are going to explain. And as you see, there are, he gives seven seven different ex, uh, approaches. Okay, let's see what we can do. Number one, uh, he says, Hiksha, So one thing that the Be'er Sheva points out is, even though, as we said, that the Gemara is unequivocal, and the Gemara does not present the dissenting opinion about the prohibition of teaching Torah to non-Jews, it's not quoted in the postkin. You don't find it in Shulchan Aruch. You don't. You, you don't find it in Shulchan Aruch. Who beprada Rambam shekvar no no dasheinu mashmi chum din ashoy be Gemara liba dehilchasa. And he says specifically the Rambam who doesn't leave out Gemaras. It's not like Shulchan Aruch says I only address things which are halacha lemaisa, not certain sections of halacha which are not lemaisa anymore. Rambam covers everything, and the Rambam doesn't address this as something which is aser. So why is that? So he says. So the Be'er Sheva says, It must be, we don't pass it like this. Even though there's no dissenting opinion, but it must be, there is no, it must be that there is a dissenting opinion, an opinion which maintains that it's not prohibited to teach non-Jews Torah. We don't have to see the rest. He says, based on this, we have an easy explanation for the Gemara and Baba Kama where the Chachamim taught those two Roman officers the entire Torah. So he said, how can they teach him Torah? Isn't it Aser? Beresheva says, it must be that it's not Aser. And once you accept the premise that it's not Aser, even though we don't know who that opinion is, but once we accept that it's not Aser, then we understand the Gemara Baba Kama, why they did so. Okay. Then, Otiritz, another answer that the Beresheva gives is, 
This Urak Bitaras Moshe Mitzvashin Maybe the only Isser is all that's going to be encompassed by the Isser is the teaching of Torah, not all of Tanakh, not the Nach part of Tanakh, but only the Torah part of Tanakh. Aval But it would seem to be, says the Bereshava, that if you want to teach Nevi'im and Ksuvim to Gentiles, that's okay. Because we see the different, um, you know, revenge that was taken by the Jewish people. And we see answers which are appropriate to give Tapikorosim. And that type of Torah would be permitted. Okay, that's number two. Oh, so therefore this Kola guy could go ahead and theoretically teach them stories about Nevim and Ksuvim, and that would be acceptable. Then he says, number three, Says, oh, Kasaf. Another thing is, maybe the only answer is to go ahead and to teach Torah with the reasons and the depth and the secrets behind it. And things which are known through hermeneutic principles. Because, this, I told you to remember this, the language, and this is what the Gemara Chagiga is actually referring to. When it said, that's why Rabbi says we don't deliver. It's not just that we don't teach, but we don't deliver them the Torah. means not only the halachas themselves, but the reasons and the underpinnings and the secrets behind those halachas. That's what we don't go ahead and give to non-Jews. And, but if you're just teaching them just straight up halacha, just teaching them straight up halacha, this is mutter, this is asr, we eat this fish, we don't eat that fish for those who eat fish. So whatever it's going to be, so that will be something which is acceptable. Number four. That's the Nitziv. He writes, He maintains that any part of Torah which means all of Tanakh, is permitted to teach to a non-Jew. And how do we know that that has to be so, uh, argues the Nitziv? Very obvious. So we know that when Klai Yisrael entered into Eretz Yisrael, so there was the story of Yeshua translating the Torah into 70 languages. Why was it necessary to translate the Torah into 70 languages? The Gemara in, the, in Sota talks about this. It's so that the other nations had an opportunity to study Torah if they chose. And I, what about the Yisrael to teach the Gemara in Chagiga? And the prohibition against teaching Gentiles Torah, that's going to be halachas which are derived using the hermeneutic principles, using the different types of drushas which they do. But just to go ahead, meaning Torah Shabbat, but just to go ahead and teach them Tanakh, that the Nitzim says is not Aser. Ulam, if you look in Rabbi Kivager, in Chuvas Rabbi Kivager, where he was asked about the permissibility of teaching Tanakh or even the Siddur to Gentiles, and he was talking about not just Stam teaching it to a Gentile, but he was talking specifically about a Gentile who's seeking to convert and obviously needs this information so that he'll be, uh, when he converts, he'll be able to hit the ground running. The Heishiv and the Rebbe Eger famously says, He says, I don't know what the heter for that would be, which is obviously a very stringent uh, uh, position he takes, but that's what he says. 
Eger is taking a very strong, stringent position where he says it's not only going to be also to teach Mikra, but it's also to teach Tanakh even to somebody who is seeking to convert. Even that's going to be us. But the Nitziv disagrees, and the Nitziv holds that that's Motu. Then there is the Turi Evan, number five. Turi Evan goes in and says, that, uh, uh, He says that the prohibition that Rav Ami presents in the Gemara and Chagiga that's prohibited to teach a non-Jew Torah, even though it's quoting a Pasuk, it's just an Asmachta, it's an Isidurabana, not an Isidurabana. And being there, at least in the story in Baba Kama, where they were teaching those Roman officers Torah, being that they weren't doing it on a regular basis. It was just a temporary thing, which had to be done that one time. And in order to promote peaceful relations between the Jews and the Romans, so those Rabbanans Rabbanan didn't prohibit things when it's going to violate, when it would put people at risk, or it would violate principles of Shalom. Uh, yeah. Then, number six, HaMarsha, the Shabbos, the Marsha, oh, so this is another one of the, the very famous Gemaras. You know that the, the, the non-Jew came to Shammai and said, I'd like to convert, and Shammai said, great. He said, then the Gentile said, on condition you teach me the entire Torah while standing on one foot. And he said, what? Get out of here. He threw him out. And then that same person went to Hillel and said, will you convert me on condition that you teach me, I'll convert on condition that you teach me the entire Torah while standing on one foot. And he went ahead and he taught him what he taught him. So how could he go ahead and teach this non-Jew Torah? So the Marsha writes, Ein lamdo Hillel Torah ger, kodim Do not ask, how is Hillel allowed to go ahead and teach Torah to the convert in advance of his conversion while he was yet a Gentile. What about the prohibition in the Gemara, in the, in Chagiga, and the, the punishment as presented in Sanhedrin that it's also to go ahead and do so? Uh, why wasn't that a, a outright violation of those two Gemaras? The Marsha answers, The Marsha maintains, not like Rubik Vegar, but the Marsha maintains that if somebody's coming to convert, then you are allowed to teach them Torah. As long as their intention ultimately is to convert, it is permitted. It's only if they wish to remain a non-Jew is it not allowed. And then finally, number seven is from Rav Moshe. So Moshe writes, Betshuvah's Igros Moshe, he says, He says the prohibition against teaching a non-Jew Torah is only when that's your intent meaning that you know that the non-Jew approaches you, he says, teach me Torah, then you're not allowed to go ahead and teach him Torah. Let's say the person seeking to learn is studying for his own sake. And he has in mind, I'm teaching Torah to the Jews who are in the crowd. If there happen to be some non-Jews who are listening, that's their issue, that's not mine. But I'm teaching the Jews in the crowd. So it's not prohibited to teach Torah to Jews just because non-Jews happen to be present. And that takes care of most of those, uh, most of the Hiruv type cases, and even in those classroom type cases, where as long as you know that there are some Jews who are present, and you have in mind that those are the people that you're going to teach, so 
So then uh, the fact that somebody else is there, so that is uh, that is something which is uh, which is acceptable. And then he says that uh, he just finishes off on his own. He says the fees and nearer. So based on all of these explanations, it would seem that if you have a crowd of people and you know for sure there are non-Jews there, so if you could focus your attention on the the Shev Mitzvah B'nai Noach, to go on Mitzvah Emunah Hashem, like you just talk about belief in God, who adif? That's the best thing because everybody has to believe in God, even non-Jews. So that's a part of Torah which even they can study. And you'll even do a Mitzvah because you're teaching them uh, principles of belief, which they are obligated to believe as well. Umaisa, then he says an interesting story. Umaisa ba'atibus in kumrim There was once a busload of priests, probably Catholic priests, who show up at the Kosa. And they wanted to speak with a rabbi. I don't know if it's the rabbi of the Kosa, I don't know if it was somebody else, but they wanted to speak to a rabbi. And um, respectfully, they said, we realize that this is your place of worship. It's not our place of worship, but we would like to pray here as well. What would be an appropriate thing for us to pray while we are at your Western wall? And he said, if you want to go ahead and recite Psalms, you can recite Psalms. Because Psalms essentially revolves around belief in God. Who can before Igros Moshe like Igros Moshe there? Which is a different part of the, the tshuva, but teaching him something which uh, which applies to them is certainly okay. And therefore, so if you want to go ahead, if you have a crowd of people which includes non-Jews, and you want to tell them some interesting shilas related to Geneva and Gezela, so that's also allowed because the halachas of Geneva, the prohibition of Geneva and Gezela, applies to Gentiles as well. And if you have, depending on the crowd, somebody may want to discuss if you have a Peter crowd, so you may want to discuss the prohibition of Avram and Achai. They would certainly get into that. They'd be excited to hear that there's such a prohibition. Visar Arias. And you may want to, again, depending on the crowd, you may want to discuss the prohibition of Arias. The whole Sheva, Shiva, Samitzas, and all of the other Shev Mitzvahs, B'nai Noah. Jehain, Avodazara, Bechas Hashem, Shvichos David, Gil Arias, Gezel, Dinim, Avram and Achai. And you can discuss any one of the Shev Mitzvahs, B'nai Noah, with them. That certainly is going to be okay. But what most uh, Kirov people rely upon is what Rav Zoberstein quoted from Rav Moshe, which is this idea that as long as you have in mind the Jews in the crowd, the fact that you know that there are non-Jews there who are listening anyways, so that's not your, your Afrayas. And this is particularly important um, because nowadays that everybody's sheer, anybody who gives a shear and it gets posted online somewhere, there's no way to know who's listening to that shear. And if you ever look at comments about different shurim, they're very often, I can't say very often, but it's not unusual to see a non-Jew saying, I listened to that class, and it was inspiring and motivating and whatever it was, and there's no way we could control that outcome that we end up teaching Torah to uh, to, uh, to non-Jews. But like Ramosha, sometimes that is going to be an issue. Because as long as you have in mind the people who are there in front of you who are Jews, so if somebody else wants to listen, it's not your obligation to go ahead and prevent them. It's only the answer applies only when you're teaching directly to a non-Jew without a fellow Jew being present. Rabbi Shaffel, does this yes. make a difference because you're talking about who's listening and so on? Does it make a difference if it's a publication? 
Uh, excellent. So what, uh, what, what you're touching upon is a very important uh, Shaila about whether um, writing Divrei Torah is that the same thing? The, the, the question is, um, if somebody wants to go ahead and write Divrei Torah first thing in the morning, you have to say Birchas Torah. Is writing considered to be like teaching? Is it considered to be studying? Or are you just writing in the things related to that? Whether Kriya uh, is Kedibor, there's a whole sugi in and of itself. But Pashas, we would say yes. That publishing is a manner of, uh, of teaching, and that would also be... Uh, but we have Rav Moshe. Rav Moshe says you're publishing for uh, for Jews. If a non-Jew decides to pick up your Sefer, which is good for business, certainly. We hope that... The, uh, whatever it takes to make the sale, but we, uh, but um, uh, but yeah, it's it, uh, it 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 wouldn't be an issue to go ahead and put it out there, even though you know that there could be non-Jews who buy it. Thank you. All right.